Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Millen Sharma Show. I'm your host, Millen, and today my guest is Niharika Shah, who's from Gujarat, and she's currently pursuing a double major in economics and English and creative writing at Emory University in Georgia. And she describes poetry as a means of expression and release with the focus of directing her work to reach young girls who are fearful, fearful excuse me, of being their unapologetic self. Plus, she is an author of a book, which will be coming out soon, probably by the time this is published, uh, called Strawberries Under Skin, which will, which will be published by the New Degree Pressed, Press excuse me, in August. This book will be enjoyable for everyone, but most especially those in their late teenage years, early adulthood, and those transitioning between major phases in their lives. So with that in mind, uh, Neharika, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, so obviously the first thing, because you're very interested in poetry and my audience, we don't talk about poetry too much. I guess young people, in my opinion, don't seem to really talk about it too much. So I'm really glad to have a conversation about this. Mm-hmm. And you're publishing your first uh, book very soon, which is, again, is a, a very big feat as far as how young you are as you're 21 believe 21 right right okay cool um just want to hit a good guess there um so i just want to talk about the title of the book which you titled strawberries under skin and on your medium page you describe your reasoning behind strawberries being the sun being the central theme of your book mm-hmm. as and this is one quote i found was like feel you feel the pores it's unsteady surface and how the scarlet red stands out against the lush green. And and the more I thought about it, I was like, I kind of agree with that because red or fruits like oranges, blueberries, all that is almost too perfect. It's very round, it's smooth. There's not really anything too rough uh, like about it. So mm-hmm. as far as that, it seems to make sense. But I'm curious, like, when did you think of a fruit to really fit your book? Because obviously there's so, so many other things you could do with that. But you you thought of the strawberries as a, as your title. So I'm just curious, like when did you really come up with that uh, title, that word? Yeah, I think I think you said it pretty perfectly about how every other fruit is kind of almost perfect. But interesting fact, when I was thinking about um, compiling my all my poems into a collection, um, the first thing that I actually thought of was skin and not strawberries, because I there, there's a lot of poems in my book that um, talk about your personal relationship with uh, the physical body and your mind. And um, for me, the concept of skin really stands out uh, because that's kind of what builds you. That's what you're composed of. And there's just so many tiny elements in it. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, I ended up writing a poem which actually features in the collection called Pink Strawberry Milk. And uh, when I was thinking about the metaphor and and what a strawberry could represent in terms of its color and its freshness and um, it immediately brought uh, the heart into you know in, into my head like I could picture a heart and a strawberry and almost see one thing and um, I was playing around with the title options and I I really when I thought about strawberries under skin I mean it, it came to me as one of my options and I think the reason behind it was because I wanted, um, which is what the illustration on my cover also kind of represents or attempts to represent is this kind of venous uh, organ slash fruit and, you know, the the red uh, representing or symbolizing the blood and how this, I'm trying to compare the blood in your system and its life-giving qualities with um, the redness of the strawberry and its juice. And I just think all of these, qualities of color and and life and um, the delicacy and the intimacy that the the fruit represents, uh, it just really just brought together all of the themes that my book talks about. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's kind of where I was headed. Okay, great. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Uh, I, I think I got it. I can't, obviously I can't pull the picture up here right now, but I, I'm pretty sure the the strawberry, it looks like a heart. Is that supposed to be what it be? Okay. And yes. okay. And that, that can go into right. Exactly. What I was thinking about next. Um, because I saw one, one quote you said was that 
uh, it appears I cannot thrive as a poet unless my heart is perpetually breaking. And it sounds so, it sounds like sombersome. And it's interesting because uh, the more I think about that, I'm, I'm not like too informed with poets, but the more I think about like poets, like maybe Shakespeare, the very popular ones, it's always about something very major happening, very uh, raw, just mind blowing things like that in their lives. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I'm just curious, like, what else do you, if you have anything else you have to say about that? Like, how did you really think of that quote? Um, like, what made you think of kind of like put that out there? Yeah, I think uh, that that quote uh, is in uh, a poem called Breeding Ground. And um, it came to me while I was thinking about, because honestly, uh, one of the things that my friends and family has always, uh, they've always attacked me on is the fact that all my poems stem from this feeling of um, loss and the loss of love or heartbreak and uh, I think that's where I get most of my inspiration from and so um, a lot of it tends to be very heavy and and, and like intense and so it, it's really just that when I think about what it takes to be a good poet for me I feel like my best poems come through when I'm sad and so I can't you know be the poet that I want to be unless my heart is perpetually breaking and I think uh, that's what that poem was talking about in terms of uh, where is your breeding ground you know there, there are where do you thrive what kind of environment do you thrive in um, mosquitoes or, or insects thrive in cold damp environments as a poet where, where what is that environment for you and for me at, at some point in my life that was that was the atmosphere I was surrounded with. And fortunately, unfortunately, that's where I got most of my inspiration from and where I created my best work. So it's kind of morbid if you think about it, but um, it, I think every poet has their specialty and uh, that's, that's where I got my inspiration from. Mm. Yeah, that's, I have to say, I would almost say like you said your family may attack you or like disagree with you with how you're writing or what topics you write about and i would argue that is this is probably the most or one of the most healthy ways of actually uh i wouldn't say maybe coping or like kind of dealing with those feelings because if anything most i mean not most but like many people would deal with it in a way that's almost unhealthy like many drugs, alcohol, all those things, like really bad things, unhealthy relationships, et cetera. Um, so I love that you kind of channel that in a productive way, mm -hmm. in a way that's more like, uh, I don't want to say safe exactly, but it's kind of non-threatening because it's words on a paper, you know, I can't do anything. You can't like really physically do anything, but at least it makes you think, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. That's my think, thought on that. Yeah, I think, I mean, safe is the right word, I believe, because when I, um, you know, when I started writing for myself about 14, 15, when, it actually, when I actually started to write things that meant something to me, I turned to poetry and writing um, for comfort and solace because I knew that expressing myself through art was a safe space. And it was probably the safest space that I could find. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it venting, though Though I did vent. I've always maintained journals my whole life. I've always written you know, on the notes of my phone um, because that for me is um, a space where I'm not gonna be judged. I'm, uh, I'm going to be accepted and, and I, I, I can fully be myself, you know, on that piece of paper or on, on that digital notepad. So I safe is, is the right word, I believe. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I even heard someone like uh, Jordan Peterson would even say like a lot of college professors and uh, academics wouldn't really say why students should write. They never really explained why outside of just getting an assignment done or just doing a paper or all this stuff. But it's a really important skill just beyond in the workplace because mm -hmm. it's it's one of the most important ways of communicating besides speaking to one another, listening, yeah. speaking, and I would say writing is probably the third thing in my opinion. Um, and I guess that could lead to one thing I was thinking about earlier, which, or later on I was going to think about was how you were able to create um, that intimate experience with writing a paper into something that's 
published publishable or publishable for the world to see. And I'm curious what really, first of all, I guess guided you guided you to really do that, mm-hmm. um, out outside of kind of making that more public. Mm-hmm. Like what really like how did you really decide like yeah I, this is what I want to do, uh, yeah. So what what did you think about that? I think as I've been writing for like as long as I can remember, and I always had this dream to at some point when I'm good and when I when I'm worthy, I wanted the whole world to um, read me. But I I also knew like the importance of patience. To like I wanted to get to a certain stage where I had enough knowledge and enough um, like skill to to actually write something that that people will enjoy and people will resonate with. Um, so I wasn't in a hurry, but 2020 when everything happened and uh, I came across this publisher who, well, I came across this program that invites authors to uh, share their manuscript and develop it with editors and everything. Um, I just, I think the major driving factor for me was the fact that growing up in a traditional, you know, Indian background and family, careers within um, the arts and the creative field are not as encouraged as those as, uh, you know, in the medical sciences or engineering, finance, and things like that. And um, this would be a major step towards change if, even if it's taken by just one person and I'm, I'm not significant yet, but I wanted to be um, a kind of like a tiny ray of hope for the next generation of dreamers, because I know there's there's young girls and boys out there in high school who want to, you know, who aspire to be um, actors, musicians, dancers, writers, but they're not given the encouragement that they need and not enough people are pursuing it. Um, and therefore there are not enough resources. So when I found this platform, I really wanted to make use of it and and take that first step. So that I think that that is where I, that's why I decided to go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just curious, what really motivated you to take that first step? Because even because you even you stated too, like I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but from what it sounds like, it's more likely than not that it wasn't your family really pushing you to do this. So yeah. unless so, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just curious, what really was kind of was it friends, peers, or was it just kind of your own? Uh, uh, drive to like really find that publisher and and like kind of spark that uh, itch, so to speak. I think so. My my family has always been supportive, um, but we never really knew, you know, which uh, kind of we didn't know how to go about it, and you know, like where do I get my editors from? So I found the publisher and the program myself, and uh, I think. I think it was just my personal drive. I think it was just um, motivation from within that I want to do this. I want to put in the hours. Um, and if this is going to help me uh, reach like a public platform like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and then finally people will be able to read me, then then you know that's that's going to be one more feat accomplished. And I also and I also feel like um, around June, July of twenty twenty. Uh, it was the first time that I actually went public with my poems was when I created my Instagram account. Uh, otherwise, before that, everything was closeted. You know, it was in my books. It was in my phone. I never really shared it with people. But a couple of close friends told me to start putting it up on Instagram. And the kind of appreciation I received from not only my, you know, my social circle, but even beyond that was so heartwarming. And it was so encouraging that I felt like if this one person who has never spoken to me before, but is suddenly sending me a message like, oh my God, I really like felt your words, you know, in my bones. And I mean, that was just such a gratifying feeling that I was like, I need to get better and I want more people to read it. So that that's kind of why I went ahead with it. Yeah, that's, that's great to have that, I guess, determination in the beginning when you don't really feel that around you because even I could say as kind of a creator myself also, like it's definitely much more satisfying than to have that one message or two messages of people that are really impacted by your work. Yeah. Because even the, some people I follow that are more famous now, as far as either YouTube or anything mm-hmm. else, they always say like, this is the reason why they do it because of, of men, women, whoever like sending them this, yeah. this work really helped me and wife and, and for, furthermore. 
yeah. um, which is which is awesome to have that impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say uh, as far as social media, I, I truly believe that the positives of social media is not really advocated enough because, mm -hmm. and I, we could talk about that too, because I would say these kinds of things, it's always the negative aspects, which there is definitely negative aspects as far as anxiety, like fear of missing out, all that stuff. Yeah. But I would say doing things like this, and like, and this is where like the world is going, like a creatives kind of world where uh, people can just be inspired very quickly, very easily. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that people take advantage of it as much. Like, I'm glad you are, you're taking advantage of it. That's awesome. And uh yeah i think i because even i'm sure even you were thinking to yourself you know you've i'm sure you underestimated your ability to uh your influence i guess on other people right yeah, yeah. continue i think i think i really did not um believe that you know i didn't understand what kind of impact i could create or i could have on other people just by launching a page because there's so many people there's like millions of people you know in a particular community on Instagram there's artists there's musicians there's writers and I felt like okay I'm just one person how much how much could I even do but then that was when I realized that as I developed my page the power of social media I mean just the con the algorithms and and everything the way the entire system works I've been able to join so many communities i've been able to meet people from different parts of the world talk about my accomplishments talk about my you know ambitions and i've even you know i've met people with the same kind of um, goals and dreams as i have and i think it's just been so it's been such a great networking platform and uh, we've seen so many like you said content creators and influencers rise to fame and build careers out of social media and i really feel like if there are, you know, young girls and boys trying to, you know, create an audience or like um, reach more people, you have to, I mean, I would really, really recommend starting a page or using Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of these things, because it's, it's highly underrated for content creators, for uh, artists, especially. Mm -hmm. Yes, true. And I'd also say, even like creating that social media, so many people at least from what I've seen, so many people don't start at all or yeah. are reluctant to start because they see somebody, they're very popular people. And not only do they say, oh, like they're really popular, I'd never stand out, but yeah. they would never even be able to compete with them in any level. And I would say, I'd argue that, yes, there is competitors, but in a way it's, you're just contributing to a huge, like a huge pool of meaning in my opinion, where it's, there's so many different artists, contributors, and you're just a part of that. And, you know, you just see where it goes mm -hmm. and you enjoy the, you enjoy the process of it. Mm -hmm. And how great is it to contribute to that pool? Because I, there have been days when I've, you know, when I was running low on inspiration, I didn't, I didn't write for months, but then I just um, reach out to a couple of people. I'd see, I just log into my, you know, on my, to my feed and there would be prompts, you know, poetry prompts provided by uh, different uh, authors and writers, or there'd be workshops online or, you know, live Instagram readings. And there's just so much inspiration there, creative inspiration in every corner. You can't go wrong with it. Right. And also there's no excuse to learn, to not learn more either. So yeah. from what you see, cause like, there's so many things you could find, especially if for someone like a college student who who like doesn't have as much funding as as mm -hmm. other adults would have. There's so many like uh, affordable, free advice, things like that. And even people that are really on the top, they use a lot of times I've noticed they create videos to help you. Like, how do you make a better show? How do you write better poetry? Like things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's very invaluable because I know if I were in that place, I would do the same thing. And I'm sure you would probably do the same thing also to help future boys and girls yeah. in poetry, things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's free. Like that's the best right. like anybody can, can, you know, get access to all of this knowledge and information. And I mean, you have to make sure you have to kind of do like a fact check, but it's literally for free. So there is no better way to start. I feel like that should be your starting point. And then you kind of grow from there. Then you reach out to, you know, bigger organizations and representatives and things like that. Right, right. And I think so many people get tied up in that, the second thing you said, where they want to get in that big organizational part. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure like just starting off is 
is the road to get there if you want to get there in my opinion um yeah just like starting off because it, so many people would spend at least from what i've seen i wouldn't say everybody but a lot of people spend a lot of things a lot of money and time on things that aren't as incremental to their growth as far as the hobbies they want and things like that mm-hmm. where things like what you're doing it's more so it's helping you and it's not really uh i guess there's always a you know a, a time for something a time not for something but it's mm-hmm. not really inhibiting you in fact it's helping you and i'm sure you've noticed that your poetry has probably helped you beyond the actual art of that that's what's beautiful about art and things like that because i'm sure like i'd love to ask you wait like, what has how has poetry really uh magnified your life in in ways outside of that like has it through your mind in any way has it helped you focus when things get turbulent um like anything like that i think poetry for me has always been that thing that i turn to when things get turbulent and when i need life to make more sense because there's always so many fleeting thoughts in your head and when i am able to put pen to paper and like put them down in a structured format and actually you know go through layers of revision and editing and then once i'm done with like the final product i like that is what makes me feel good that is that for me is a feel good factor that i've i've done something i've taken all of these fleeting thoughts and actually turned it into art and i think it's that feeling is um kind of underrated um or not talked about because i i always wonder what other people do um you know who are not writers who i mean they have their own forms of expression but like what do you do to like you said coping mechanism is not the right thing but sort of to uh let go and then as a form of release you know so i think that for me has always been there and um i mean i think more than that like more than just the emotional and artistic um like side of it when i started working on my instagram page i like because of that i feel like instagram is more of a self learning mechanism at least when you start like a business on it you learn so much about marketing and promotion you you know there's all of those insights that you can see you can you can obviously there's paid promotions and advertisements but you learn more you learn so much about how to market your product better you know there's all of these aesthetics that are involved you have to make it look good you have to make your captions um catchy you have to you know um grasp the attention of your audience so it's taught me a lot and uh i'm i'm really grateful for it i'm i'm thankful that i started this journey and i i would really recommend that um other artists who want to grow really use this platform yeah i i definitely because uh as a, as someone who's in the communication field a strategic communication more specifically mm-hmm. um it, it's so interesting like you have no idea how many times i wrote i i cited how i promote like the podcast i have now to like instagram I, i make that as an example of how i do it because uh, so many companies i realized how like video is like very uh it's kind of a new concept as far as adults don't really have too much knowledge on it because it's like a new thing like instagram is now doing reels youtube has like a short option now like 60 second things so like the shorter and the shorter the thing is and like more attention it gets that's kind of like what's driving um yeah the market so it, it's just so fascinating how something that i consider to be a hobby even you consider poetry to be more so is turning mm-hmm. into something much more than that uh, yeah. as time goes on mm-hmm. um so yeah that's yeah that's great um let's see if we can dive into something different here um okay th- all right obviously this is the one thing we might have talked about this a little bit but you were saying how uh you wanted this book to be directed specifically to uh young girls who are fearful of being their unapologetic self so mm-hmm. obviously you state like i saw the the short clip you have and you say like it can be more so teenage years and all and and etc but i'm curious what how did you uh not how but like like how well yeah how <laughs> how did you come up with uh this target market i would say as far as like young girls being the focus of your poetry and like what do you think is being how do you think they're left out i would say because it seems like to me that's kind of the message you're portraying uh in that in that bio yeah i think when i thought of the audience that i was trying to cater to 
I saw myself in a lot of them and I and I saw um what kind of what kind of poetry books was I attracted to um and there's you know people like Langbiav or uh, Ocean Wong or um Fatima Asghar and then there's you know Phil and Sarah Kate that duo that you know they talk about love and loss and um very different things even just about changing and like changes in yourself and in, in your surroundings but i wanted because i saw that those were the kind of people that i was attracted to um i was catering to a similar kind of audience and um you know some of the themes that my you know that my book talks about is is just the struggles of girls specifically you know the way that they are restricted um the way that they're not allowed to make their own decisions or dream their own dreams and then um you know some of the other things that i talk about also um are body image and body dysmorphia and essentially womanhood and you know what that means for us as we're trying to you know grow into our mothers or other women that we look up to and societal expectations and all of these really come under this big you know umbrella of change and acceptance and tolerance um so i just feel like i know for a fact that that there are girls and even boys i'm not even going to you know exclude them from this category because we've been subjected to so many um you know standards and expectations that we're supposed to live up to um that we no longer know you know we no longer know how to be ourselves and if you know we no longer we're no longer comfortable with being ourselves uh and i really want that to change because i've experienced you know personal um trauma because of it and i and i want this book to sort of be a safe haven for those who are going through it now so i just feel like you know uh, i know that the ideas expressed in this book will resonate with a great majority of uh, young adults out there mm-hmm. okay and obviously individuals are very different but i'm curious what like what actions would you see people like taking your book grasping it soaking it in reading it mm-hmm. uh what do you like what would be the best case scenario as far as like what how what people will move forward from your book like what they can take from it what they can experience how they could change their lives in a positive and meaningful way uh, what, what do you think about that i think it's it's going to be more of a personal evolution i think that um these things need to first personally like you need to change your own personal mindset and your attitude towards it because you know you know there's like i i like to describe myself as soft like i feel like i'm a soft human being and then and i know there's others like me who are criticized for being the way that they are or they're not given enough credit and um i that's one of the things that i would like to change and when i mean change i just feel like if i'm writing about it and if i can talk about it maybe someone who picks up this book and reads it decides to talk about it as well and then starts to accept it or accept themselves for the way that they are and then you know this kind of creates this ripple effect and um if that helps change or like transform um the mindset and attitudes of even a small group of people i know that that will have an impact i am not aiming for uh a global revolution here because i know that i'm i'm not going to be enough for that but i can start small i can if i can even you know provide comfort to one other person i know that that will that will start its own cycle mhm but if you do a book tour i want a free ticket though i just say i would love, I would love <laughs> a book tour and of course you get a free ticket sure <laughs> that, would, that would that would be the dream i would love to mm-hmm. you know do live readings and like you know go on interviews i mean talk about these things that would be great mm-hmm. yeah and uh i w- i want to dive a little bit deeper into what you were saying about uh the idea of being soft how do you explain uh the meaning of that because i see i'll, I'll just give my little snippet here as far as soft in my in my opinion i i think it's a huge misconception because more people that are at least timid and maybe shy timid reserved on the surface actually have a lot more to contribute they have a lot of ideas a lot of things that other people might shout down or things like that but um that's kind of what I, from what i think but as far as what you're saying like soft and people's voices being heard 
Uh, how would you describe that? I think you kind of hit me on the head. I mean, it's 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 those kinds of people who who have thoughts. It's not like they don't have anything to say, but they're slightly, like literally speaking, in terms of voice and decibel, they're softer than others. And so those that kind of just because um, they're bolder and louder, they get to express their opinions, whereas we kind of get, you know, reserved. And um, I don't want to, you know, like I, I don't, I know that some of these words might have negative connotations when I say emotional or sensitive. I don't just mean, I don't just mean uh, a person who's like, touch me not flower. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that I think some people are a little more, um, delicate in a way that we perceive delicate in the way that we perceive things and the way that we perceive ourselves so it, what happens is when um i think just because we feel and we're not able to express it loud enough or, or as loud louder than other people um suddenly um these feelings are you know not given the credit that they deserve or they're undervalued or they're just discarded and uh that's what I mean when I say I want these voices to be heard because I think a lot of times people who are you know belong to the soft category um they're kind of uh you know they're just like um you're too sensitive for this you're you know you're you're um you're being too emotional you're being such a girl and you know things like that um and I just feel like these are notions that I want to you know do away with and I don't know, maybe putting myself out there as an example uh, would be, would be mm. a nice to start. Yeah. And I would, it's interesting you say that because the niche you kind of chose is definitely something that's uh, powerful because even it doesn't matter how, if you're the loudest one or the quietest one in the room, because mm-hmm. if whoever wrote that, it's going to sound the same. You know, the, vo- the words don't have a maximum or minimum volume. It's you read the, you read it and you interpret it. Mm-hmm. And doesn't matter who wrote it. It's just that's everybody sees that viewpoint mm-hmm. and what your perspective is, which I think is an interesting uh, idea to grasp as far as choosing poetry and, and uh, making your voice heard from that. And yeah, and I also feel like softness for the long time has been perceived as a weakness, whereas that's like that's exactly what I want to say. Like I mean, I think being soft is a strength because it gives you an edge because you're able to understand things on a deeper deeper level and you're able to be so passionate about things that you know if something if something hurts you and you're you you, you're able to communicate the fact that um you're able to communicate well you know and not just kind of like go with this attitude of i'm 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 harsh and i'm stone cold and i can deal with it where and then you end up bottling things up inside i mean that's not healthy so I, I really want, you know, other people to also start seeing softness as a strength and not a weakness. Right. This, uh, this concept you're describing kind of reminds me of uh, one book I've been reading and it talks about conversations and two ways, like two unhealthy, both equally unhealthy ways of dealing with hard conversations. And basically if two people are, are in dialogue with each other and they disagree, uh, there's two responses and one is like violence and silence and mm-hmm. and silence is one that's the majority of people know which is basically kind of what you said if someone's like if there's confrontation they kind of get reserved they put their head down they just kind of like kind of stop what they're doing almost like just you kind of like freeze time and just like don't do anything and then the other side of it which is not talked about too much is the violence side and that's more so when someone kind of like insults and throw and yells and kind of is very argumentative and it's, and that's, again, that's not really helping as far as uh, dialogue and the pool of meeting either. So that's, that's, that's a great way to look at it as far as soft. Um, Cause I never really heard of it that way before. So. Yeah. I mean, why violence and silence are both two extremes. And I think, uh, I mean, to each their own, I feel like you need, to personally find what works for you, what 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 you, know, what you think is the healthiest way to communicate your emotions, and um, but I'm a, I'm a big advocate for communication. I don't believe in um, keeping things inside. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And it. Um, yeah. That's that's one thing that's that's really fascinating because before I was really reading this one book, it's called Crucial Conversations, 
And it's really fascinating because there's so much emotions that go along with conversation that men and both men, men, women, like you don't really realize. I didn't realize at first because like if something, there's a tense thing going on, your emotion of anger is going to affect the words you say. So even if you're trying to make a point, your anger is going to be changing your dialogue and it's going to make the other person feel a certain way. And there's never, never going to be any resolution or solution to something. Um, and I think that's something that's not really, at least there's not a spotlight on. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I can just keep going in circles on this, but, uh, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Okay. Let's kind of focus on this one aspect. So you, I, I found uh, something where you were explaining in your book, how the girl tries to make sense of things in the world that do not make sense. That's kind of, it seems like the main theme in my opinion for or maybe not but maybe one of the points in your book at least and so with that in mind because you said the girl and uh first of all just to be clear is the girl in your book is that more so you relating to that girl character yes a lot or it's not or is it specifically you just to be clear no, it, it's it's what you said in the beginning it's more so me but i i know that it's uh kind of a universal character but it, it mm, reflects, okay. reflects from where i come from okay okay so you were so basically to continue with what i was saying mm -hmm. um basically you describe how some of the some of the contents in the book is talking about rules and regulations social stigmas stigmas kind of what you said earlier like societal um societal guidelines things like that so what has your experience been like this regarding uh, rules, regulations, all that growing up in a middle-class Indian household? Yeah, I think um, everyone, you know, who's grown up with this kind of background can attest to it, but there's a lot um, of pressure um, for women and it starts from even just being at home and um, being told what you can and cannot wear and then it extends to going out and um, how late you can stay, what kind of neighborhoods you should be walking in. And I know safety is a concern for everyone, but it's obviously a bigger concern for women. And um, that has just always been one of the like bigger things that has, you know, that I've been concerned about. <clears throat> I think um, I, I talk about this uh, in one of my poems. It's called, um, it's just about, it's about, what it's it's like a mother speaking to a daughter and it's all it's about all the things that she can and cannot do don't do this you know sit sit pretty sit tall don't wear that kind of a dress don't put on that kind of makeup and then how that i mean how is a girl supposed to grow and really understand herself and her boundaries if she's always going to be you know put in this shell uh, of do's and don'ts and uh, i wanted to talk about that and i i feel like you know there's all of these decisions that we want to make for ourselves. And I know we've come a long way from all of those years ago, all of the generations that have passed. Like my grandmother didn't have a choice but to get married at the age of 17. And her life since then was just about um, tending to her family, tending to her daughter. Then my mom took one step forward and went to college and then this is me and there's just there's just still such a long way to go because of what you know in terms of what is expected of a woman after you know there there's marriage and then there's your career but what's really important there's all of these conversations and then in the middle I feel like um a girl can tend to lose sight of what is important for her and for her growth you know, and then family becomes important. And then how you appear to other people becomes important. I, I, you know, I mean, this is kind of stretching, like diving to a different conversation, but then how we look is such, is, is, is such a so, like social stigma. I mean, um, you know, I, I feel like when I, I, I went through certain changes in my life and that kind of, you know, made me look at myself in a not so appreciative manner. And then, you know, when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw. And then I, well, I wrote about that. There's many poems in my collection that talk about it, but there's just another form of expectations that exist. Um, and uh, I just feel like there's 
all of these choices and struggles that we have to deal with that were choices that we're not allowed to make. And um, I wanted to talk about it. And I know I'm not, I'm not the only person talking about it. I know there are others, um, but I wanted to kind of represent it through poetry. And I wanted poetry to be the medium that kind of unifies all of these readers together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Um, <laughs> Obviously doesn't do it justice the, the you know two minutes, but yeah. that was that was good. Uh, yeah, that's a lot to take in. But um, one thing you you were saying about uh, like parental figures and other members of, of your family or, or Indian families in general was kind of like the do's and don'ts of what you can do as a woman as a girl, mm -hmm. and that's one thing that's very interesting because as far as wanting the best for them and guiding them in a certain direction, you want all that. Uh, how would you say, let's say um, you're raising a daughter, you're married, you're raising a daughter. How would you, what, what would you, uh, how would you kind of guide your daughter in that journey as far as feeling like you're putting, you're, you're setting a certain standard, you're setting a certain uh, boundaries for her. But when she reaches that age where it's, she needs to be more kind of, I don't want to say independent because there's always family will always be around, but as far as making decisions for herself mm -hmm. and you're become less involved in her life when she gets older, how, what, what guidelines kind of would you take to kind of promote that growth? Yeah, I think that's like a really good question. It's an important question. I ask myself all the time, but because, so the thing is, I understand that, you know, all of these, um, it's not like, you know, it's not like my family's out to get me. I know that all of this stems from a place of concern, you know, all like the, the, the safety and everything comes from a place of concern because they don't want, you know, anything bad to happen to me or any other girl out there. Um, but that's kind of clouded most of their judgment. And I, and I don't just mean my parents. I think I mean people of older generations. It's kind of clouded their judgment because what was normal for them, what was the norm for them is, is no longer the norm now. And, you know, we're smarter, we're able to handle ourselves better. But if I had to, you know, if I had to raise a daughter, I would, the, the concern part would remain, but I would also tell her to, you know, follow her dreams, not unrealistically, but in a, in a practical and realistic manner. Like I am fully aware of the fact that a career as an author is risky. Like, you know, it's it's not entirely stable, especially if you're just starting out. You know, once you you get you make that major hit, you're, you're kind of good. But when you're starting out and, you know, you have to kind of land on your own two feet, it's, it's risky, you know, compared to a career in finance or in, as a consultant or things like that. Um, so I'm aware of that, which is why I chose, you know, to, to pursue a double major and not a single one because I want to make sure that I have um, every option. And then, you know, if my book does well, I can continue with that. And if it doesn't, then I keep writing till it does and I have my uh, nine to five on the side. Um, so I, I want her to be practical. I don't, because, you know, the world is not a rosy place. It's not all cradle and, and magical, you know, pixie dust and things like that. But you have to shoot your shot that you can't live in a, in a constant state of fear of what will happen and things like that, especially since every, the whole world is evolving every day. There's more chances, there's greater resources every day. I want to be able to provide the resources for her as well as the support. But I definitely feel like you have to shoot your shot. You have to, you have to aim for the stars. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then you go for the, you know, your plan B or your next route. Um, I just don't want anyone to feel like they don't have enough options because in today's generation, there are way too many options. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's one common theme with uh, entrepreneurship and something uh, in internship that I'm, I'm taking right now. Mm -hmm. He, so the head of that company that I'm working with, he's basically, he was a doctor, a medical physician for many, for a decent amount of time. And he felt like he wasn't contributing to, I guess, the world as much as he would have liked to. So he decided mm -hmm. to start a nonprofit and things like that. And, and his only regret is not starting it sooner. And he was, and he was saying how, you know, 
one of the, one of the things he would say is like fail, like fail and fail again or fail harder. I'm sure like, I don't know if you've heard that before, but that's like when a kind of thing, fail harder, things like that. And something that's really not, I think, taught enough is not only the failing aspect, because uh, obviously you get punished for failing in, in, in school all your life, but uh, it's more so learning from what you, from the failures, because there's always things you could, you learn from it and then you, you kind of grow from that. So it's not just failing like you, you're unsuccessful, but also you use those lessons to keep progressing and moving forward. Cause I'm sure with your writing, you, I'm sure you've screwed up certain times and, mm-hmm. and, and, but then you, you try this and try this and then eventually you get more of a kind of a domino effect. It's like, and then it, it kind of yeah. develops into something meaningful. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like how you said the shoot for the stars like that. Cause mm-hmm. if you don't, if you shoot for the stars, at least you'll at least get maybe an airplane in the way or something like that so (laughs) right I feel like there's always room for growth and improvement I mean even in this current book like it's out to be published next week and I I still like I feel like maybe it's it's because I'm 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 the author but like I read through my manuscript and I'm just like I don't like that anymore or maybe I could have done something better or I could (laughs) have that comma somewhere else Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there's just always room to grow. There's always room for more knowledge and education and you have to keep learning and you have to keep striving to get better. Um, as long as you have that kind of energy and drive in you, I I don't think that failure should really be that great of a fear because, you know, you're going to fail, but it also doesn't mean like even if you succeed once, it doesn't mean you're not going to fail again after that in your mm-hmm. next event, in right. your next I think it's just a continuous cycle and you just have to keep going. Yeah. And I think a famous philosopher said something like that too. Like the genius, like some, I forget his name, but basically like a genius is a genius because they know, they know there's so much they don't know. Kind of like (laughs) there's so much out there that they don't know. So that's why you have to humble yourself and say, you know, I'm not like a smart guy and the smartest guy. Like there's so much more I can know. And kind of with that in mind, like I would think to myself, that's what's like drives me to what I do. Cause like there's so many different ways, like different microphone, different camera, but not only that, but like different softwares, like there's so many different ways to, to kind of improve that I always look into. Yeah. And even with technology, like there, there's going to be something big in the next couple of years, like reels won't be the thing that's trending now, you know, it'll be something different and you'll have to adapt to that. You'll have to adapt your work to that to mm-hmm. so to kind of spread your message as, as far as and wide as possible um yeah, absolutely so yeah that's that's definitely one uh point there mm-hmm. yeah i agree and uh let me see here so so i i noticed that three of your favorite poems that you wrote i, I you mentioned one of these earlier was i'm trying to make peace with mortality i don't know if you mentioned that you might have um, that one, and then when I'm 20, mm-hmm. and cast and castles are called ruins, and I just say the third one, kind of like what we're talking about too, because everyone sees the final product of a castle and how beautiful it is, but obviously it comes from tons of hard work, tons of ruins in the beginning, and things like that. I'm not sure if that's how you, exactly how you wrote it, but that's kind of my interpretation of the title. Um, but I, uh, yeah, yeah, continue, continue. Yeah, I, I feel like. Castles are also called ruins is one of my favorites from the collection and it's really tiny. It's probably one of the shortest poems in the book. Um, but I just like, that's exactly what you said. I mean, castles have come from tons of hard work and also the idea that at, you know, someday when, when we go, when you, when we go to visit all of those castles in Scotland, they're ruined now. They're, they're, there's just like all of these boulders and, you know, remains of what the castles were. And now they're called ruins, which is pretty ironic because something that, was so beautiful and so magnificent a few years ago is now just like a bare barren wall and uh, I the the main theme of that poem is actually talking about disintegration and how something so beautiful has also disintegrated into something that's not anymore it's kind of now depends on how you want to see it do you still see it as beautiful or do you not Hmm. okay yeah that's interesting because there's there's so many famous like I guess ruins as you would say, even like people visit now, I'm sure back then, if they said hundreds of years later, like you or me or anybody else would like find an airplane to see something that's ruined. Like 
they would probably think that's kind of like you know unbelievable <laughs> to yeah, think about <laughs> yeah but i think that's the that's the beauty of change and growth and you know years and years of evolution i uh there's going to be a time when all of these things that we see now uh, you know cease to exist or maybe you know they're completely mm-hmm. like in shambles and then i think i think that's what history does and i'm so glad we get to study it because i think history is a really fascinating subject there's just so many stories to tell and so many that we haven't even heard of yet um but i think that's the beauty of it yeah and just because you mentioned history and that's i it's so interesting with history because uh one book i read a while ago basically was saying how after a certain amount of years there's always like some sort of big event so it's like every like 45 years or something or 80 years and this one author he died um before 2020 but he was he was saying like he was writing a book and he was saying like 2020 would be the year x x y and z and then you know the virus happened and and all these things all these things it's it's just crazy how Mm -hmm. history kind of repeated itself in that fashion and yeah um it's odd because you can't do anything about it almost because it, it's not, you like, you know, something will happen. Like if 2019, if you knew something will happen, you can't really, pre- you don't know what you're going to do. Like something's yeah. going to happen. You just have to prepare for, well, <laughs> for the worst. I um, know. And I feel like no matter how much you think you're preparing for it, this, I mean, it's, you don't exactly know what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. no amount of preparation is ever going to be enough the world was just, you know, nature will take its course. Right, right. Yeah, and um, okay, let me see. As far as you stated, something else you stated uh, that I thought was interesting was, uh, at least not right now, but like earlier uh, mm-hmm. in your poetry, you stated how many of us go through uh, much of the same things in slightly different colors, and you describe these things, not limited to, but like shame, anxiety, fear, et cetera, all those things. Um, as far as that is the case, I like how you put it like that because obviously you want as many people to see your your book when it comes out, not just young women. You want everyone, everybody to, to get a piece of it, understand it, uh, use it to uplift their lives. So uh, I think that's something that's definitely missing because if someone – that's why I like what you're doing because – this, if someone goes through something that's kind of shameful and anxious, things like that, a lot of people feel like they're alone in that because they feel like there's no one else, no one else really either going through that or it's not publicly known that, that yeah. uh, they don't have that support. If they don't have that friend, if they're a freshman in college, you know, that friend yet, or if they're just don't have the support. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just curious is as far as that happening, I would say for me, I was, I did when I would go through certain things. I actually did journaling and things like that mm-hmm. and not the same thing as poetry, but the similar mechanism where you're writing down your thoughts and things like that. And I could say it definitely helped incredibly as far as a healthy way to deal with certain things. And even it's funny. Cause even, uh, <laughs> I was selling the book and sometimes I would look at it. I'm like, wow, that's really crazy. Cause sometimes I, I hear people say like, you should like, rip it and burn it and like that kind of like erases it or something like that but um i don't know sometimes i like to like to see it and like when you look at it it's it's a for me it's like a kind of a feeling of content to like be like wow like i i got through that moment and you know now i move now i moved on and i feel i feel much stronger from that resilient from that um so yeah, yeah. i think I, I completely, you know, agree with that. And I, I've, I've been through that as well. And I, that's, that's exactly the reason why I wrote that, um, in, you know, in the, in the book description was because I want this book to reach as many people as it can. And I want people to actually, um, resonate with it and, and, um, feeling the feeling of, you know, shame, fear, and anxiety, anxiety in, in, in particular is one of the core themes of this book because like I said, like it, it, it comes in different shapes and forms for different people. And there's a particular um, poem in the collection called Anxiety Tastes Like, and it kind of um, paints three to four different kinds of, uh, you know, forms in which anxiety appears to different people, you know, whether it's related 
to um, food or whether it's related to losing someone or or just um, not not being just just being anxious about yourself and uh, just because I've experienced it personally I've been able to you know come up with the right metaphors and pictures for it but I really feel like something like reading reading poems about anxiety and, and fear and shame I mean creates this kind of I don't want to like say safe space again, but like, and not bond, but like you know, you're, you like like you said, you you realize you're not the only one. You're in a community, and you're reading about something, and you know that oh, someone else has felt this too, so I'm not alone. And that's exactly the kind of impact that I'm going for. Um, mental health is something that that is now being talked about a lot, uh, and I'm proud of the fact that it's even being talked about in India slowly. It's still not there yet, um, kind of at the level that it needs to be. But talking about mental health and depression and anxiety and things like that uh, on a more serious level than just saying things like that, you know, like people throw around the words, you know, depression and OCD and bipolar very casually, which I'm very against. Um, and I feel like people need to understand the gravity of the situation. Um, and, you know, I feel like talking about these things, you know, and, and with, with my background in mind will get people to understand and accept and talk about it more openly and not be ashamed to bring it up. Hmm. Yeah. And I agree with that, especially even I, in college, I hear people say like, blah, blah, OCD, you know, and, and very, because the thing is, when when terms are overused like that it definitely diminishes the value of what it is because yeah. if someone's like oh i'm depressed because my favorite food is not being served today like things yeah. like that it does a huge disservice to uh, the issue at hand because you don't know who mm-hmm. if someone's like actually going through something or not like if you hear it thrown around a lot it's just like oh it's just a short-term thing when it could be a long-term thing for somebody else exactly yeah, and I really think we all need to be a little more sensitive about that. We're getting there. I think we're taking baby steps, but the more people talk about it, uh, the more it's going to, you know, be uh, in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, and as far as, I'm not sure if you really mentioned this specifically, but you were saying your your book is, you want to talk about your like traditional uh, family. Is that kind of what you were saying or your traditional background? so to speak i think it comes from like like i said the speaker in the book every time the word is mentioned i um that personal pronoun relates to me slash the the girl that i'm trying to talk about the the lens that this book is taking uh i think it speaks from that perspective and since i am the 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 narrator or the writer it a lot of it comes from my traditional indian background Mm -hmm. okay and I'm sure that the things you talk about, everybody will relate to too. But um, yes, and yeah. I feel like it's not just my country. And I, because when I say Indian background, it's just to give people context that, you know, because we come from a predominantly conservative society, um, but there are others in the world who have probably gone through the same thing and in milder slash, you know, heavier forms. But I mean, this is just to give context of who I am and where I'm coming from. And I mean, I want my readers to know me and to get to know me for exactly who I am. And um, I feel like reading through the experiences that I've talked about in this book will paint like the picture that I need to paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really, I, it's good that you're doing something like this because I always try to tell as many people as possible how uh, they be more the producer rather than the consumer of things because there's so many uh people our age older than us even younger than us i mean younger than me for sure that are like always consuming something over and over again and consuming i don't mean it can be an unhealthy thing all the time as far as like reading something of course it can be a good thing but at the same time so many people aren't producing their own content and i don't know about you but when i when i'm using social media and i can and i can like share something that i created i'm like like that's pretty cool you know because so many people share other things on their story and stuff and like and they didn't you know when you do it yourself it's like wow like that's that's cool that i can post that something like that so i think it's great to do that and to spread that awareness and uh just like create more because i think too many people kind of 
uh, I guess they throw themselves under the bus too much. And I think they don't, they think like uh, very powerful people in, in around the world, like they could do it, but like I can't, which is definitely a yeah. fallacy in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I continue. What, what were you going to say? I think uh, a lot of us suffer from the imposter syndrome, like just that feeling of not being good enough. Um, and I, I mean, I've been through it. Sometimes I still feel like I am uh, just because like you said, there's just so many established individuals out there. You, you feel like you're just starting off and like, you're like a nobody. Um, but I just feel like even if you have the imposter syndrome, I don't think you should, I think you should use that, you know, and turn it into, turn it into something positive, turn it into motivation to get better and do better and get to the level that you want to get at. Um, instead of letting it hinder your process and letting it kind of act as an obstacle and um, actually discouraging you from continuing the journey. Because if you get discouraged, then, I mean, you've come this far and then, you know, what what sense does it make to kind of take one step back? Uh, a lot of people do suffer from, you know, like this feeling of not being good enough. But I just feel like if you feel like you're not good enough, um, talk to people about it, you know, uh, constructive criticism is always a good thing. I mean, it's never a bad thing to listen to people telling you how you can get better, but then also have some faith in yourself, you know, believe in yourself um, if you're trying to do something. And if there's, if you feel like you're doing something for the greater good and um, it makes you happy, then um, there's literally nothing stopping you. I feel like you should just keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think learning new skills, in my opinion, is probably like one of the best ways to kind of, I guess I don't want to say combat imposter syndrome, because I think, like you said, it's kind of one of, the, one of those things where as adolescent and someone going through like those stages from mm-hmm. adolescence to early adulthood, it's much more prominent where like, you you still don't really know how to make your mark in the world yet. And, and obviously as young people, we probably still have a lot to learn also. But uh, yeah, I think it's definitely something that comes and goes in my opinion and kind of learning skills and learning new things mm-hmm. where a few years ago, like I would be kind of surprised, like how, how does this person do, do X, Y, and Z that I'm doing now? And I'm like, wow, that's cool. So like, it's always good to take a step back and even mm-hmm. just see the work you've done. Cause then, mm-hmm. you know, you're the, you're your harshest critic yeah. most of the time you're, yourself. So it's always important to take a look at that. Uh, and kind of step back and enjoy the, you know, enjoy the process. Yeah. Don't look, don't look at the follower count every, every, every yeah. one minute. Cause that, that's always an easy thing to do yeah. where it's like, Oh, this isn't happening. Like, I don't want to do, I want to, then you get discouraged like that, like you were saying, um, mm-hmm. because I think so too often, like there's so much, uh, and not stimulation. I'm trying to think of the word. Um, I guess, uh, maybe dopamine would kind of, suffice mm-hmm. suffice a little bit where they want to see like views like so quickly subscribers yeah. like um yeah. either likes or comments so quickly because people they follow certain individuals that are successful and they get that and rightfully mm-hmm. so they earn that through you know hard work and and product making and all that stuff yeah. um but at the same time you have to like enjoy what you're doing if like i would because i would make the argument that like whatever I'm doing, I would, I'll enjoy the same way if it's still zero, there's still zero followers. Like I'll still, I want to improve this yeah. product. And, and, and I'm sure you probably feel this in a similar way, because if you didn't, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't continue what you're doing anyway, because you don't know the people that are buying your book. And if you're just doing it for them and not yourself, then, you know, it's hard to find a point in that. Like I said, like I, I didn't get into this journey or this process for the business or you know to make money or things like that I just wanted to be read and understood and I wanted people to actually enjoy what they're reading I just wanted to create art and put it out there just as a lot of you know people are doing on the internet now and um, I'm actually so glad that we have you know platforms like uh, Matchmaker and Instagram and all of these things where we can meet like-minded individuals and have such organic conversations about this like I really like the point that you mentioned about pausing for a second and taking a look back at what you've accomplished so far because sometimes we forget to do that and we only look ahead and see what's not done 
um, right, and right. put a lot of pressure on you. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really important to actually talk to someone and they give you their perspective so you get a third person's perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I totally agree with like things like when I first saw the matchmaker thing for podcasts, I was I was so shocked. I was like, because I was always wondering how do people find other people to speak with and how we're going to conversations with. And when I see something like that, I'm like, wow, that's really, it's just unbelievable because usually you find like good people to talk with and things like that. Like even like I was always struggling, like how can I really find that? But like you said, there's so many outlets, like everybody would be shocked with what you can do uh, that's low priced or like free of charge. It's, I mean, it's like endless possibilities really. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Niharika, thank you for coming on. And I'm curious, how can people, uh, find your work best? Mm-hmm. Like how can they find their work? And I, I'll put this in the description once you, uh, list it to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, all my links are on my Instagram page, which is Niharika Shah Poetry. And uh, you can reach me. Obviously, you, if you want to connect with me, you can reach me on my personal email account, which is poetry at gmail.com. And my book will be launched uh, next week on Amazon and then on certain other wholesale distributors like Ingram Spark um, and Barnes and Noble. So I will definitely, you know, give you the link of once the book is out on Amazon. So anyone who wants can purchase a copy. But yeah, reach out to me on Instagram for other collaborations. And if anybody wants to connect, that's the best way to connect with me. Great, great. And also congratulations on it going. I know it's going to get published soon, but that's a, so obviously a great it's a great uh, feat to find a publisher and, and for your work. So thank you so much. I, w- I had really I had a great time, uh, great conversation with you. So thank you so much for having me. Sure, sure. Have a great week. Thank you.